Welcome to the Upside Podcast, powered by Upside Global and hosted by Julian Blinn, founder and CEO of Upside Global. The Upside Podcast is listened to weekly by over 6,000 sports and tech executives from all sports leagues and teams in the United States and around the world. Julian has been developing technologies for professional sports teams for over 10 years and has worked for major tech companies along with sports tech startups. In each episode, Julian interviews global leaders in sports to share knowledge on emerging technology in the sports industry and how these technologies can help improve the performance of individuals and organizations both on and off the playing field. And now here's your host, Julian Blinn. So today we have the honor to interview a group of sports performance experts focusing on athletes, rehab, and return to play. So first we have Jason Han, the head of rehabilitation and the team physiotherapist for the LAFC, a top MLS team. So welcome back, uh, Jason. Thank you for having me, Julian. Great. And then uh, we have Dr. Derek Lawrence, who's the head athletic trainer for the U.S. men's soccer national team. So welcome back, Derek. Appreciate it, Julian. Glad to be back for another one. Great. Uh, and then we have Aten Corias, the CEO of Kinvent, a company that helps sports and rehab professionals assess progress and build engagement and motivation. So welcome back, uh, Aten, as well. Thanks for having me, Julian. Great, uh, thank you. And then uh, we have Quinn Sandler with the CEO of Plantiga, a smart in-source system for analyzing movement in the real world. So welcome, Quinn. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. Great. So guys, hey, what I want to talk to you about today is first we'll talk about uh, the current issues and challenges uh, with the tools used for rehabilitation of athletes today. And then I'd love to get your, your, your thoughts on the importance of using data as part of the rehabilitation process. And then I also love for you guys to tell me more about uh, the best practices that you identify when it comes to rehab and return to play of athletes. And then lastly, we'll talk about the future of rehabilitation of athletes from a tech perspective. So how does it sound? Sounds good. Sounds, right? good. Sounds okay, like a plan. So, all right, so Sounds like a lot. <laughs> okay. So the first topic, right, I want to discuss was uh, what do you guys are the current issues and challenges with the tools used for rehabilitation of athletes today? So anybody wants to start? I feel like it kind of depends on where you're from. You know, I'd be curious what Derek or, or, or Jason thinks in the actual commitments, um, how that works for you. I have my own thoughts. I'd be curious what you guys think. I I don't know if it's is it okay if I start, Derek. Yeah, sure. Go for it. There's a lot of challenges. <laughs> um, I, I think in addition to like the tech, it, it, it will it will it'll change based on the club or with, or whether you're with the national team stuff like that. At least for us and this and this particular year, it's a pretty congested schedule. Um, so that's a big challenge for us uh, as far as keeping athletes healthy, whether or not you have a deep roster or not. Um, I, I think that's one of the biggest challenges. So when you integrate any kind of tech, it has to fit within the confines of how you do things and um, the time allotted for it. I think that's one of the biggest challenges. Um, to add to that, I think objective testing is always a, a key component of it all, but it always depends on the preseason and working it with the performance staff, working it with the technical staff as far as what are they okay with testing 
at least early on. Because at least as rehab professionals, it's nice to have a baseline. So you have something to compare to um, if they get hurt. Um, but it's, it's a multifaceted kind of question. Uh, that's just kind of like a brief, my summary on what I see on my end. Yeah. Uh, anybody else wants to jump in? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll piggyback off of Jason a little bit there. And, you know, it really does depend on your settings, like Quinn alluded to. And, you know, for someone like myself who's been in the club setting and now kind of with the national team a bit, you know, that there's completely different challenges. Uh, you know, ironically, we, we have more uh, personnel with the national team, but it also, we don't have the space to do it. And what I mean by that is we're constantly traveling. We don't have a, tra uh, you know, a training center. So in order to really get a job done when we're trying to do rehabilitation, it's what is going to give us the bang, biggest bang for our buck and be mobile. You know, we've seen multiple modalities or different sports tech that we come across and we're like, man, that'd be great to carry around with us because of something that it can provide us in terms of data, objective measurements when we're doing rehabilitation. But, you know, when you're already traveling with so much stuff, not just us because it's, you know, it's, it's everything. It's all the equipment manager. It's all the, the media personnel, like the administrators, the coaches, everything is being packed up and taken from city to city. So, you know, especially with the gold cup coming up, you know, they're changing cities every three to six days. And so you can imagine like how difficult that already is. And so, you know, the biggest challenge in our setting is just space. Right. But, mm -hmm. you know, kind of going back to what Jason's saying is, you know, time is of essence. And when you're going from game to game, or if you don't have enough personnel to operate a lot of the sports techs, like that's where the challenges more uh, more so can come in. And in addition to it, it's just, you know, there's so much sports tech out there that you have to evaluate it pretty well and make sure that it's going to fit well within your system. And, you know, are you going to get that return of investment on it? And I think that's another bigger, bigger challenge that a lot of practitioners see is, you know, you can get some great stuff, but, you know, how often are you actually going to use it? You know, yeah. I mean, I'm sure people who have these great uh, devices may say you need to use it every single day. And, you know, that would be great to do. Uh, but, you know, how easy can that be done uh, is always going to be a challenge. I think hearing you talk, Derek, makes me think there is such a disconnect sometimes between people that build the tech like myself and sometimes the people that use it. So I often hear time is the greatest thing that any practitioner has when trying to implement technology and when i talk to groups about like why some groups don't use this as much as others and it always comes down to time um maybe just to add like a little flavor to that what i think is a challenge and obviously it's it's unbiased because that's what i do but in a lot of the groups that we work with when you look at the return to play continuum you do a lot of work and a lot of objective testing kind of right until like late stage rtp and then obviously when they kind of go out on the court, on the pitch, on the field, it gets a little bit more kind of gray of what's happening. And so that's obviously where we live. Um, but I see that theme across different sports and leagues where that kind of collecting, um, the guy named Jesse Green that I've worked with a bunch at uh, the Kings and the, and, the, and the Penguins where he talks about like measuring at the terminal task. Like that is the most critical thing to do. And it is the most challenging to do. And obviously we measure biomechanics in the field kind of in shoes and cleats. And so that's where we live. But I know that that is a very, very uh, big challenge right now. 
um, is a lot of practitioners just literally they, they have to go off their hunch uh, and their best guess sometimes and their eyes in terms of what's happening. So, yep. yeah, thank you. Um, is it okay if I add to that? And yeah, it's yeah, like the ahead. challenge is is adding is making it relatable to what you do as a clinician too. There's different styles of treatment as well. Um, so marrying marrying the tech with your style of treatment. Um, like you said, like end stage return to play. One thing that we do institute with our club is we do monitor them. Like we get them back into training or back into games, but like I send this Excel sheet every day to like uh, the performance staff and then we'll track how far along our guys. So we'll track them four to six weeks after they've returned um, to play or returned to training. Um, but uh, but again, with the congested schedule, then you're dealing with drama, you're dealing with this guy getting hurt, then um, if you don't have enough personnel to follow up with these guys, that becomes an issue too. So it, it is like Derek said, and, and like you're saying, Quinn, it's multifactorial. It's all yeah. a challenge. As a CEO of Kinvent, I'm supposed to say that everything comes from, from data, but it's not what I think. What I really think is that the essence of return to play is to not have injuries at all. And this is where preparation is the most important thing. So the moment now that we leave is the most important one for the next season. So you get Jason, you're going to have your athletes. So you're going to prepare them as much as you can. And this is the best way of not having injuries at all. So the essence of all it is to have them well prepared. And then at the end is also to, to manage their fatigue during the whole season. So... The only thing where sensors like uh, Plantiga or Kinvent can help is give you some data to see if you are in the red zone or in the orange one. Yeah, and and, and I think in a perfect world, if some guy is fatigued and we tell the coach, hey, we have to rest this guy, of but course. it doesn't happen. <laughs> so, you know, like, again, I, I love the conversation because we can look at it from different lenses and, you know, like, well, essentially what we need to do is all all five of us work together and it would be perfect that's right <laughs> i think because we all get it we all understand <laughs> i i have been in situations where coaches don't care and you know it's been where it's like no it is important that this player play we need that energy and that vibe on the field and so that's also another thing too is you can do what you do but you have to deliver that information and ultimately it is a coaching management decision that you know often will get made um with you know it's not to say they don't care about athlete health they really do but they're making like decisions that are challenging um for them and and, and their team so i i see that often as well yeah i think well, that, um, or go ahead there yeah one other thing i think we need, I think we're kind of uh, forgetting about in terms of uh, issues is comes down to a relationship with an athlete as well, right? If you haven't built a strong rapport with an athlete, or maybe you've had something happen in the past, and now all of a sudden they may question you a little bit more, but on, on the same side or the opposite side, you may have someone that just trusts you with everything and they're going to work hard and do everything you tell them and get some good results and that'd be great. But, you know, it comes down to a relationship, personal, you know, you know, that personal touch just to get them to go over that threshold a little bit and trust that you're going to push them just enough to where they're going to be a little uncomfortable, but maybe not put them at risk. And, you know, that's always going to be a major challenge or an issue within the rehab um, setting for sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, hey, uh, the next topic I want to discuss is the use of data, right? So from your perspective, 
I guess, from the perspective of the vendors and the teams, right? How important is the use of data as part of the rehabilitation process? Anybody? Well, I would say it's like, uh, I wouldn't say it's the top of the pyramid, but it is very, very important. It's like data combined with kind of gut instinct and other intuition as well, but it is very, very important. I've been in situations personally where someone has been cleared and then we collect a bunch of data and they do not look like they are remotely close to go back. And that is a situation that I have seen, I don't know, 30, 40 times, a lot. And so what does that tell me at least? I'm like, oh, wow, that athlete was just about to go back to like full on competition. And they are like not remotely changing direction the same way, jumping the same way, like, wow, you know, but still. And so those are situations where maybe data collection is on a little bit on the lighter side. Um, and so, you know, data is powerful. You know, our system, um, uh, any, uh, any system. So that's, uh, uh, that's my perspective. Okay, thank you, Quinn. Anybody else? What I would like to add to, add to that is that at the end, uh, it all comes down to a big staff of a physical therapist or two, a strength and conditioning coach or two, and two coaches and the manager, and then the athletes, and all of them have a different way of thinking things out. So where data can help is helping them, convincing them of where we are and making collegiate decisions. So. Because if I take the, the, the easiest example is the athlete. Guys, you have athletes that are competitors. Are they going to say that they are not ready? I don't think so. The athletes that I met myself here in France, for example, in, in rugby, they may have an ACL. Two months after, they think they can go play. This right. Yeah. But the data shows something else, right? Exactly, exactly. And right. But you're right. Data does align a group around uh, at least a discussion point. And so it does encourage alignment, or at least you would hope it does. But I often see it does that. Yeah, I, I, it essentially gives you objective measures, right? And I think like you, like a lot of you said, you, you're marrying that with the gut instinct. You're marrying it with the... Uh, uh, with the communication with the technical staff and the rest of the performance staff. Um, uh, there's a saying in the medical world, don't guess, assess, right? So that's part of it, right? Okay, if someone's coming back from a hamstring and how strong is it is this person truly? You know, if you're doing an eccentric ham hamstring test or an ISO or whatnot, and then you can marry that with data on the field, like how much high-speed running are they doing? Are they 80 to 90% of their, of their max max speed um how many reps are you doing how many xld cells are you doing so it does paint a a good it helps paint a picture when we're trying to um, help the technical staff understand the risk versus reward of playing this person at this time in a perfect world we have a deep squad where we can take weeks to get this person back to speed where they're hitting um, they're moving exactly like they did prior to injury. They're hitting everything on the field like they did prior to injury. They've, depending on how long they've been out of training, they've, on the other side, now they have enough trainings to get back to, um, to match play. Um, but that's not always the case. So we can uh, integrate the data with that conversation so we can make the best uh, decision for the club and, and the player. And like Derek says, 
some some players you have to coax along you have to kind of push them like no it's okay it's okay i like and then it's not until they trust you that they'll go that speed right it, it's just like it's very multifactorial and, and that's what makes it fascinating at the end of the day for sure and that's where some of the data can come in where if you have baseline data in terms of rehabilitation product uh, processes you know be able to show the athlete like here's where you were pre-injury now you've succeeded those numbers you know let's just take like a you know an eccentric you know hamstring test or something like you had this previous score and this you know strength now you've now you succeeded that you know you've gone past it three four weeks after an injury this is why we believe that you can go a little bit further and so using the data as part of the conversations is is massive but we also have to remember that data isn't necessarily just you know always numbers even the majority of the time it is and what i mean by that is checking in with someone how are you doing today how's it feeling today that's data and so people need to remember that that's a little bit of piece of information that can go a long way now um, and so just understanding that these other points can be useful and so i mean i would almost go back to what quinn was saying earlier about it may not be the most important piece, but it is very, very important piece because of the other small pieces of data that you collect just through conversations. And it's not necessarily just specific measurements of, you know, using devices, but it's just also checking in and getting that personal, you know, feedback from them because that's going to be data points as you put in your notes, as you go to along the ways and to check in with them two to three days, two to three days later, like, okay, we did this. How are you feeling now? You know, would you like to move on? And you know, do you feel like you can play? You know, that's another data point because you may have a guy on a, on a Friday or like on a Monday, there's no way I can play on Saturday, right? Mm -hmm. But then come Friday, like, yeah, I can definitely play on Friday or play on Saturday. Like, well, we'll see about that. But that's where we have to use the data and part of our conversations. Just on that point too, I think context is king, right? Like if you don't know that someone's RSI went down, but it could be because they had an argument with their girlfriend and they're kind of feeling depressed because they might break up with them. That doesn't necessarily mean they are, you know, like it's just the number will do something, but the context around why that happened, what's going on. And like, as a technology, you don't know that that is the practitioner. That's the clinician. Like, how's it going, dude? What's going on? Like that interaction is priceless, which to Derek's point, that's the contextual data, which is like probably the most important actually. Yeah, and I think to Queen's point, I was talking, for example, to the sports psychologist of an NFL team yesterday. Her job is to really help those guys when they come back from injury, right? They have to be comfortable watching tapes of when they got the injury, right? And sometimes those guys are not ready, even though physically they're ready, but psychologically they're not. And that's not something that you can easily track with the data, right? So uh, so it's, it's very, you know, I mean, how do you track psychological data, right? I mean, good luck with it. They try to quiz this, it's hard. Right? Um, so, uh, hey, my, you know, my next question is, you know, what do you think are the best practices that you guys have identified from a technology perspective or from a practitioner perspective when it comes to rehabilitation and return to play of athletes? Any best practices that you guys have come across? I'll just say this just because I think Derek made the point. If you can collect baseline data, it is so powerful. And if you don't have it, that's okay. There's still injury baseline. There's still baselines if you have no data on someone to kind of see where they're or how they're progressing week over week. But if you had healthy, and I put in air quotes because what athlete is actually healthy, like they're always managing something. But if you have if you have good data, you know, four or five sessions, um, that is just powerful 
powerful because it is this like, hey, we're going here, or at least as close to here as we can get. Um, and so, yeah, that's what I am. Uh, I'm a firm believer in. I'll second that to Quinn. Like, let's say post injury, you you take data and you see an asymmetry, and they may have they may have had that asymmetry to begin with. So, are like, how much are we actually trying to change them at the end of the day? So, like you said, having that baseline data is key, and like I said in the preseason, okay, they give us, let's say how they, they allowed us one or two days of, of preseason physicals. And then, but at the same time, they want to train. So we have to make a decision of which tests to do so they don't fatigue too much because if they don't look good on the pitch, then the coach is going to be upset. Right. So those are all little things. <laughs> Ideally, we're doing all these tests. We're getting all these baselines, but again it kind of depends on the club and the setting uh, i see well we come from a world that can mean that 70 80 percent of our users are mostly physical therapists with normal practices and those guys they never have the baseline never when a customer arrives he's already injured so the baseline is not there so what they do is generally what they will do is they will use the healthy link as their baseline so that's one thing the other thing is normalized data because they have data for normalized population, so they can compare. The problem is that both those methods, as you said, they don't work on uh, competition sports because the asymmetry may have been there already. And uh, what is normalized data? What is normative data for uh, normal people, for athletes that are above all the rest? So true that those things that we use in normal physical therapy, they don't apply that simply. In, uh, no. Yeah, like there's no population norm of NBA players compared to me or you. Right. It, just, it just doesn't exist. Um, that's why we're a firm believer of N equals one. So baselines, but also comparing against yourself. Uh, it is the best measuring stick that you can do um, as opposed to comparing them to any type of population. Um, that's kind of, again, kind of a pillar of how we approach things. Absolutely. Derek, have any comments on that as well? Yeah, best, practices. best practices best practices probably start with the baseline but also just coming up with a proper plan and then understanding you know you have to be vulnerable sometimes and know that your plan is just not going to work and you have to go back and be willing to change it and adapt on the fly if need be or learn from all the mistakes right and so the best practices for me is just you know cumulative uh, experience from doing what you think is right and then has it worked continue to do what has worked and then if it doesn't go back and refine it to make it work because at the end of the day like our goal is to get people back on the on field on the court pitch and you got to find a way and you know vulnerability is another one as i mentioned it's just it's going to happen sometimes you just don't have all the answers and somebody else may and so i just like the idea of just having a very open mind when it comes to you know setting up these rehabilitation processes and you know, utilizing what you can and, you know, to Jason's point about the preseason stuff, if you have the ability to, you know, it even goes back to the first question about sports tax and the, and the time that we have of, you know, we get two days, MLS usually provides two days of testing, like, is that enough time to actually do everything you want to do, right? But again, it goes back to what do you find is most important within your setting, and then being able to do that to get as many baseline uh, measurements as possible. And then, in the end, getting players to buy in to give the maximal effort in some aspects when you're asking them to do certain 
you know, movement. So it's just like the counter movement jump. Some people may just despise it and they're just going to go through the motion, but we need them to buy in to do a maximal effort to get the best look of it and to understand that there are asymmetries. And, you know, when we go from there is, you know, that gives us the baseline of asymmetrical values. And maybe that's okay. Cause that's just how they play. Cause we have guys that will, or you have athletes that will be on, you know, play on one side of the field to the other. And so, naturally their body's going to be probably a little asymmetrical just based on their movements right and so you have to understand that as you're doing these measurements and just take that all into consideration when you're going into the rehab process makes sense um yeah and i i'll add to derek that the first question after someone gets hurt is how long is this going to take right so and then sometimes you'll defer to the md or the ortho and they'll say they'll always give the conservative answer four to eight weeks and then we know that grade two let's say a grade two hammy you're going to have one come back in a week and a half and you're going to have one that comes back in eight weeks Mm -hmm. so i think being fluid with that plan um a lot of what we do early on is like give us a few days like in that acute phase and then that gives you a pretty good picture and indication of how they're going to progress like you know the the acute towards the 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 acute towards the subacute phase um, it's just being really fluid with that, being uh, being able to communicate, having um, tech that could hopefully speed up healing a bit, you know, um, healing from the inside out. I always kind of say those type of things. Um, traditionally, as, let's say it's stem or let's say it's it's compression or whatnot. But nowadays, like we have a hyperbaric chamber at our at our at our club. Um, I'm big on that, like getting those acute guys in there early on and consecutively. Um, people are starting to use red light or or class four lasers, those kind of those kind of things. We like to implement those pretty early so we can start the healing process as fast as possible. And then movement, keeping them moving as much as possible within the confines of the injury um, as soon as possible. Um, those are kind of like best practices on our side. Makes sense. I, uh, so now looking at from a technology perspective, right? So there's a lot of innovation happening, you know, more advanced sensors, uh, algorithms, I mean, a lot of things happening, right? So looking at into the future, what do you think is going to be the future of rehabilitation of athletes from a tech perspective and why? I mean, is it going to be a system where that will predict exactly, exactly when the, the player is going to return to play, maybe with some really advanced analytics or whatever it is? Is it a matter of maybe triangulating more and more data that can help you to really fully evaluate uh, the rehabilitation and the progress of the rehabilitation? I mean, what, what is it going to be, in your opinion? Anybody? Uh, if I can talk about that a bit. So uh, from, from what I see, I think that uh, projecting a time to return to play is like projecting if an injury is going to happen. And I think that lots and lots and lots of people made PhDs and masters and everything. And I don't think that any one of them found really something that says that, you know, this guy has a 95% injury that's getting an ACL and then getting it. So I think we are a bit far from that. We can assume lots of things. Data can help in tracking it. But I don't know if we can really make, I mean... uh, very, very precise projections someone is going to return to play. I'm really sorry about that. I would love for for us to be able to adopt those kinds of protocols, but it's a bit harsh. What do you practitioners think, Derek and Jason? 
Are we good? <laughs> I'll go. No, it's not a problem. It's, I, go ahead, Derek. For me, you know, I think we're all just chasing that unicorn of can we get to that point of one, can we define when an injury is going to happen, right? We want to be able to get a relative risk assessment. And I think that's what we're doing with all the sports technology. And I think that's, you know, the future of it is finding the pieces that's going to give you the best relative risk. Uh, I, you know, KPIs, if you want to go that that route, right? To know when we need to push or pull back on some players in case that we identify these issues that could lead to an injury, right? And so sports technology in the future, I mean, it's just, it, it's amazing where it's already gone in the past six or seven years, to be honest with you. I mean, just from my early time in San Jose Earthquakes and we were just starting to dabble into GPS and now there's GPS systems all over the place. And so you just know that everything is getting refined. Everything's getting better and better. And then obviously as more tech companies come out with their own algorithms or, you know, software that's going to be able to identify these risks um, in certain areas and also support us in, you know, different aspects of the rehabilitation. I think that's the biggest thing for me and where sports technology is going to go is just that it's just getting better and it's going to, it's going to help so much more. It's just going to still come down to time and personnel and that's it. Yeah. So if you, if you want to ask, if you want to know what the best situation in the future is, is find one system that does everything for you without touching or putting anything on an athlete. There you go. <laughs> that sounds like a dream like world. Track. Um, yeah. I would just think to make one comment. I also think, and again, maybe because I live in the world of biomechanics, but what we've seen is I don't think we're going to be able to predict an injury. What mm -hmm. I do think we're going to be able to do is say, hey, look, this is how biomechanics, whether through IMUs or optical tracking, like this is literally how the limbs move roughly around three or four months post-op ACL. This is five or six, this is seven or eight, this is nine or 10. And what I think is gonna happen is more like, hey, by the way that you're moving with your movement patterns, you're a little behind where most people are at this phase. So I don't think it's gonna predict it, but I think we're gonna be able to have a lot of aggregate data on different orthopedic sports, subtype injuries like Achilles. And, and then I think as those data sets grow of how these movement patterns go, we'll be able to kind of tie better lines to where people are and then kind of how they're progressing themselves. So I don't think it's a prediction, but I think it's better understanding, like, you know, when you type in directions on ways, it'll be like, hey, there's a bunch of traffic up ahead or not. Like, I think it might kind of move into that realm here in the coming years. That's what I think at least. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, I, I love the movement piece of everything because it's like, it helps bring clarity. And uh, when you're doing, let's say you're doing a double leg squat, that's not going to give you the same data as when someone's truly jumping on the pitch or whatnot. So sure. when you're adding that dynamic part of it, um, so there's that and i also think that if you can if more systems were I, I think you were use the term triangulated right ideally why why gps works is because it's live data it's just going and then after the fact you can clip or whatnot so with motion and most motion analysis systems you know, okay you do this movement and you do this movement and you do this movement but then that takes setup and it takes time Right. So if we can make a complete system, ideally, that they're on the pitch, they're running. I was like, you know, when they did the X, I'm going to break down that movement. But I'm not a tech guy. I don't know if that, if that can be done, but that would be amazing. Like if you if you were to look at a look at a match, we know 
high-speed running, XLD cells, band two, band threes, all this kind of stuff. But if you knew the movement data, like how many times did they cut off the right? How many times did they cut off the left? What were hip angles? What were this? Then it's kind of, it's taking like, let's say you looked at the single leg squat and you can make that inference to them. Like, oh, because I see you shifting this way, maybe it's because you're in limited in dorsiflexion here. But if you look at the whole match and accumulation, the person's not cutting off this leg correctly this many times. Maybe that that brings a bigger, a better picture to us as as a clinician and to the player, potentially. Amen to that. I I think that's going to happen exactly. Yeah. So getting out of the lab, getting out of the gym, and it's true that us engineers we have a tendency of simplifying things and uh, saying that okay uh, i mean uh, pitching is a very complicated movement we cannot analyze it but what we can analyze is uh, maximum isometric strength of the shoulder it's a bit far away that's true and uh, let's go into the field so yes the future should be in technologies within the field non-invasive ones so maybe we'll bring like a10 and queen together and use their brain power to build that <laughs> okay <laughs> I'll bring some VCs to fund the whole thing. Don't worry, guys. Um, so, hey, uh, we're at the end of the podcast. So, I want to thank you guys for, for your time today. Great conversation. So, thank you. Thanks, Julian. Thanks, Julian. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, guys. Appreciate thank it. You. Thank you. See you. Thank you. Uh, bye. Bye bye.